0: Kia ora, it's Friday the 28th of June 2019 and welcome to the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, expert, Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping optimise tax solutions for small businesses and individuals and other professionals. This week, what is the connection between the great Gatsby and ANZ's David Hisco? What does Inland Revenue's business transformation mean for tax agents and could you be in the gun for UK inheritance tax? The author of The Great Gatsby F. Scott Fitzgerald once remarked at Ernest Heming- Hemingway, let me tell you about the very rich, they are different from you and me. This quote came to mind as more details that emerged this week about the financial affairs of former ANZ Bank CEO David Hisco. In particular, what caught everyone's eye is, is now getting a lot of attention is this question of the sale of the house at apparent discount to market value to his wife. And questions have been raised about whether that's a related party transaction that should have been reported. I see the latest. Um, uh, on uh, on that is it it should have been and wasn't so there's probably possibly more trouble heading down the path there. And what's the tax implications of all of this? <clears throat> and <clears throat> this has been particularly interesting. CEO's uh, packages are particularly a huge. Organizations such as uh, ANZ Bank are quite um, elaborate and they will get and and also very complicated their financial affairs as you can imagine um, are particularly complicated so banks will be taking a lot of advice on this so i'm pretty certain that um anz bank took tax advice on the transaction before it happened but what would have been the tax treatment well First, My first reaction was maybe that it was a sim- similar to the grant of shares under um, a share option plan, that the difference between market value and what was paid would represent income and be taxed. Except this time, remember, it went to um, Mr. Hisco's wife. The sale was between um, NZ's uh, property bank's property company and Mr. Ms., Mrs. Hisco. So possibly. Um, that particular analogy might not work. Um, next, it's good that it could be a dividend, which is defined as a transfer of value r- arising as a result of a, a shareholding relationship and including um, transfer of value to an associated person associated with a shareholder. So unless Mr. Hiskell was not a shareholder in ANZ Bank, which frankly would be astonishing, I think is actually expected of um senior executives to be directors of their um, uh, um the companies in which um are directors um so that's possible but the other one is possibly has also been in the news bit as questions about whether it's fbt and here's a, a good lesson for um companies all around there is a there is a there is an fbt uh, implication here, which I hadn't initially considered properly, but someone sort of drew my attention to it. And that is um, where a company has purchased goods and then provides those goods either at a discount or free to an employee or associate, then FBT does arise in that circumstance and it's on the difference between the value and the, the amount of discount in essence. Um, so FBT with this case would apply at 49.25%. So it's a fairly hefty bill. But, and here's the big question <clears throat> that probably is um, going to attract some attention and thought around this. The, pro- the property was apparently sold at market value. And what everyone's questions are, how is that possible? that there's been no substantial gain in value over the time it's been held. And that's the the trigger point, it seems. The questions will arise around what was the valuation obtained and the, or I think issues may arise about the, the um, solidity of the value, um, market value, valuation obtained. so we'll watch this space. I think it's going to be more on that. I think the Inland Revenues uh, Large Enterprises uh, Unit will be already, may have already fired off a uh, please explain or review letter, or probably may have obtained a private ruling in advance. We don't know and we um, because all those affairs are directly between ANZ Bank and Inland Revenue. but. You can be certain that this, given the scale of the organisation, how they run, you can be certain that that tax matter was signed off beforehand. But even if it was signed off beforehand and it was all above board from a tax perspective, it probably breaks the 11th commandment of New Zealand. It's not a good look. Inland Revenue's business transformation is now in the middle of its biggest and latest phase the release of the automatic assessment of um, uh, from the 2019 year. Last week, it released um, a press release explaining where it's got to with that. It's already issued one point three million assessments since the first batch went out on May 20th. And that includes over seven hundred and thirty five thousand refunds, one hundred and forty seven thousand bills to pay and another four hundred and forty two thousand taxpayers have been told you actually pay the right amount or the amount that you have always so small, it, it's, it'll be written off. And on average, um, people receiving refund are getting approximately $434. And those who are having a bill to pay, which will include the people uh, caught out on the prescribed investor rate um, debacle, which we've uh, talked about the last couple of weeks, um, they've uh, average amount owed there is about $387 million. $387 then so far to the tax pay, collect payable adds up to 57 million. The, the process is probably causing frustrations all around given the scale of it I mean they're talking about uh, assessments of two and a half million people but <clears throat> the group is probably most frustrated about it is um, the tax agents and tax agents in the design of Inland Revenue's business transformation it appears to the tax agent community that we were very much uh, an afterthought in this planning and Inland Revenue in, in it has set up a system a, a new system in such a way that it will be in very easy to deal directly with them if you if you on pay as you earn or most, on most of your affairs what is frustrating for tax agencies that Um, clients are receiving multiple multiple letters telling them that they have to pay $11,000 of provisional tax and there's a panic and then you and the tax agent analyze it and realize that the system has kicked out a letter saying that the um, assess the provisional tax for the 2019-20 year current year is $11,000 and the first payment of that's not actually due until 28th of august so Inland Revenue, the system at the moment is kicking out a lot of correspondence to taxpayer agents and causing us a lot of frustration. But longer term, I think tax agents will have to sit back and think about how they will deal with clients in the future and how they will deal with the revenue. The object of the exercise, um, as far as Inland Revenue is concerned, is twofold. One, reduce its own costs. And secondly, actually reduce costs of compliance all round. And the reports have been passed backwards and forwards from Inland Revenue to minister, various ministers of revenue explaining where they've got to on their cost savings. I mean, for the projection is they expect to cumulative cost savings of $160 million for the year to, for the current year to, uh, yeah, 2018-19. That's the cumulative savings since they introduced that, which is not a small number. What the reports the Minister are not saying is, those are the savings that businesses have obtained, but what is the cost, additional costs for tax agents, which is where we're at. And every tax agent I've spoken to is we've all got more costs on our plate, more confusion, and these are irrecoverable. So there's a lot of sort of frustration in the business tax agent community about what's going on here, even though at the same time we can see that the, um, opportunities or the savings um, further down the track for clients are potentially great and I think that means that for tax agents we've got to think about our model going forward and how much interaction we would be dealing with um, tax um, between ourselves and uh, inland revenue Inland revenue uh, never liked the what they call the personal tax summary intermediaries they sort of my tax those refund companies. Um, they in a row basically um, decided that when it did its upgrade it would take those guys out which is what it's done with its um, um, the new upgrade and uh, the transformation and as i said it's quite clear that tax agents weren't really integrated into the new system when they were upgrading it we are the biggest single users of Inland revenues services and yet we weren't really considered if you think what what tax agents are complaining about is the system, finding and working around the system is not designed for tax agents. It is very efficient for a person who's dealing directly with an revenue. But when you're dealing with someone on, on behalf of a person, it's cumbersome. We can find everything, but it takes a while. And, and that's not just simply because um, we're settling into a new system. It does appear to be a bit of a design feature. There's also a lot of other clues. Like, for example, we heard that we found out in the beta, uh, beta test that they wanted you to enter a, a bank account. number. Um, it was an eight-digit bank account number. And we went, excuse me, but New Zealand bank accounts have seven digits. Oh, sorry about that. And, of course, that, that was the reason why it was an eight-digit number. It had been copied, brought over from the United States. And in, if you check tax agents to check the tabs, we're now tax preparers. That's also a United States term. And just as an aside, one of the things that um, frustrates, frustrating compliance we have to deal with is the common reporting standards. Um, It's frustrating because the terminology was imported wholesale from the American FATCA, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. Um, And the legislation just basically took what the Americans used, used their terminology and just dropped it into New Zealand legislation and then said to us, there you are, guys, work it out yourselves, what all these strange terms mean. We're getting there, but it's actually in a piece of pretty poor, uh, in my view, drafting and uh, taking uh, and unre- uh, dumping the compliance costs off, rather than sitting down and drafting the reg- legislation and regulations in a comprehensible manner for tax agents. But just to summarize, the Inland Revenue system is probably going to settle down quite soon. You're still wait, wait. If you're still waiting for your refund, well, you've still got another six, six weeks or so before they think they've gone through the system, they're about halfway through. Tax agents really have to sit back and think about how much interaction do we want to have um, going forward with Inland Revenue, how can it be improved? Um, but definitely our business model will be changing, and we we'll probably find we go to a more advisory role, very much a more advisory role. That's no bad thing uh, in itself. It could be um, better added value for us, uh, for tax agents in yeah. the um, end. But it's it's the sort of thing sort of, we've stumbled into it um, as a result of actions taken by Inland Revenue, where they really didn't communicate well, in my view, with a key part of their. Call us stakeholders. United Kingdom inheritance tax is one of those taxes that you think um, doesn't apply to New Zealanders, you would think wouldn't apply but it's, it, 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 is, it, it will be as baby boomers start passing away become much more relevant partly because we have there are approximately 300,000 uh, people like myself who were born in Britain while living in New Zealand <clears throat> But also because uh, New Zealanders eh, eh, who may still have property over in the United Kingdom or are married to someone who is from the United Kingdom. And in those circumstances, inheritance tax can suddenly become a nasty time bomb. Firstly, inheritance tax applies on any property situated in the United Kingdom. So even if you were a um, a, a, a true blue Kiwi and you just went over, did you really? bought a property in, in the UK, but because they have a functioning housing market there, you couldn't sell it. So you've kept rented it out since then. Um, that property is subject to inheritance tax because it's situated in the UK. Now, if the value of the property exceeds uh, 325,000 pounds per person, you have an inheritance tax bill of 40% on your passing. Or if you, um, if you try to transfer it into a trust, for example, because that's not a lifetime transfer. So that's one thing that people aren't aware of. But the other one that we may see is common one is what we call mixed domicile people, where one person has a domicile, which is a tax um, term for uh, in the UK, has a domicile in the UK, and the other person has a domicile in New Zealand. And I'm actually dealing with one of those right now. And the issue is that the UK domicile person um, bought a property with um, his partner, a Kiwi and they bought a property here in New Zealand. He sadly passed away and under the will, the property transferred to his partner. Now they were in a de facto relationship which would be recognized as a relationship property under New Zealand's Property Relationship Act. But for a UK income, uh, inheritance tax purposes, the Inheritance Tax Act does not recognize de facto relationships. It only allows a An exempt transfer between spouses. So the uh, partner, New Zealand partner, has now got landed with a 50 odd thousand pound inheritance tax liability on the transfer of the property from the partner to herself. Um, It's a pretty harsh rule. Um, It it staggers me that in the 21st century, such legislation which doesn't take account of um, the de facto relationships can still exist and by the way the, the inheritance tax was updated in 2013 to uh, now allow to take account of what called civil union uh, partners um, before gay marriage was allowed in the UK. So it, it is frankly astonishing that this uh, tax uh, can apply on a fairly archaic definition of what is a relationship. And finally, this week, congratulations to my co-author and recent guest, Deborah Russell, MP, who yesterday was appointed chair of Parliament's Finance and Expenditure Select Committee. Deborah was described as a formidable chair of the Environment Committee, and I have no doubt she will be equally capable in her new role. Karare Deborah, look forward to seeing you, presenting to you and your colleagues shortly. That's it for the week in tax. I'm Terry Boucher, and you can find this podcast in all your usual places and our website www.boucher.tax. Please send me your feedback and share this with your clients and friends. Until next time, have a great week.